0: We've been walking through the story of David as a community on Sundays. During the week, we're studying what? The Psalms. During the week, we are studying the Psalms. And so on Sundays, we're looking at someone who wrote a lot of the Psalms. We're looking at the life of David. And this week, we are looking at 2 Samuel 6. It'll be on the screen in a moment. This is the situation. David has been made king of Israel and Judah. Saul is dead that's all in the past. He is ready to take over. He is ready to combine forces. And he realizes that one of the things that he, for those of you paging, 2 Samuel 6, 2 Samuel 6, he realizes that one of the things that he really needs to have is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant has been kind of at a way station for 20 years. And he says, let's go get it. I'm the King of Israel. I'm the King of Judah. This is the next thing, I wanna make Jerusalem the center for our worship, so let's go get the ark. Second Samuel six, and this is what happens. David again gathered all the chosen of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of the God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and harps and timbrels and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah, so that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, "How can the ark of the Lord come into my care?" So David was unwilling to take the, Lord, the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. It was told, King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of the God from house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who had borne the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, <laughs> when the who had borne the ark of the God had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord was shouting with the sound of trumpet as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, daughter of Saul, wife of David, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David has pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among the people. The whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. David returned to bless his household, But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, who chose me in place of your father and all his household, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This is the word of the Lord. Was a priest. He was the son of a priest. He was the grandson of a priest. He was part of the tribe of Levites, the priestly tribe. When the land was being divided among the sons of Jacob, it was Levi who wasn't given any land, but instead was given the responsibility to lead God's people in worship. They were the ones who butchered the animals that came in for sacrifice. They were the ones who taught people the difference between a guilt offering and a sin offering and a wave offering and a thank offering. They were the ones who filled the lamps with oil and trimmed their wicks and kept them lit. They were the people in charge of holy things. And so Uzzah and Ahio, his brother, are in charge of the ark. David wants it to go to Jerusalem. They've got a good plan. Let's, let's put it on an ox cart. That makes all the sense in the world. We, we're good. We got this. We're in charge of the holy things. We can do this. So they start the procession. They start the parade. The ox cart jolts a little bit. He reaches up. He touches the ark to steady it. And he's killed. What is that about? What is going on? Isn't he just a priest doing his job? Isn't this what he's supposed to be doing? Not really. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was designed with very specific rules. There were four rings on each side, and through those rings were long poles, and that's how the Levites were supposed to carry the Ark. They were supposed to lift it up onto their shoulders and process with it like that. You know who put the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart? the Philistines. See, the Philistines had captured the Ark in battle in one of the skirmishes that they'd had with Israel. They'd captured the Ark, and they thought, this is great. We've got God in a box. This is awesome. So they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in their temple. They got Yahweh and Dagon, their idol god. And they're like, this is great. Two gods better than one. This is fabulous. They come in the next morning. Dagon, Boom doesn't get, prop them back up. They come in the next morning, boom. Weird. Come the next morning, boom, head off, hands off. They're like, okay. Um, how about we take the ark out of here? Let's do that. So they take the ark out, and suddenly they all start to realize, like, are you feeling a little uncomfortable? I'm not feeling very well at all. Have you noticed there are more rats around here? so they realize that what's happening is that they take the ark to each of the major cities of Philistia, each of the five major cities, and every time they get there, the people get sick. And it's very uh, kindly called tumors in the NRSV, but you want to know the literal Hebrew? Hemorrhoids. (laughs) So they're like, yeah, we don't need this anymore. We're good. Send it on back. Let's, and so they go to their priests and they say, we got to get rid of this thing. How do we get rid of this thing? It's not helping us at all. You know what I mean? We need this thing out of here. And so they say, well, let's do this. Let's, let's put some offerings on top of it and let's put it on a new ox cart and let's just send it back to Israel. And if it goes back to Israel, we know that that's exactly where it's supposed to go and, and we're good. And so they send it down the road pulled by the ox on the ox cart, and they watch, and sure enough, the ox take it right back into the land of Israel. And it's the people of Beth Shemesh who are harvesting in their field, and they see the ox cart coming, they look, and it looks like the Ark of the Covenant is coming back. And so they stop harvesting their weed, and instead they have this big party, and they cut up the ox cart, and they cut up the ox, and they sacrifice the ox on the ox cart because the Ark of the Covenant has come back home. And they say to Abinadab, the priest, you're in charge of this, and we're gonna consecrate your son, Eliezer, to be in charge of this. You guys just take care of the ark, that's what Levites are supposed to do. And for 20 years, that's what they did. The house of Abinadab watched over the ark. For 20 years, it was just like in a tent, next to their tent. Maybe we should go polish the ark today, okay. For 20 years, it became like a normal household object, you know, like something you see all the time. It's like one of those people on Antiques Roadshow has no idea that in the tent next to their house is something that's priceless. <laughs> because it had been just a normal, everyday object. We got this. We've been managing this thing for 20 years. We know it caused those Philistines some trouble, but it's nothing for us. We're good, we're fine. So when David says, hey, I want to move the, move the ark, I want to take it back to Jerusalem, they're like, oh, that's good, we can do this. Yeah, we know it says the whole thing with the rod and the it, but that's so inefficient. Let's, and we'll have a new ox cart. And you know, me and my brother Ahio, we got this. I mean, we've grown up around the ark, we're familiar with it, it's never caused us any problem. We're good, we got this. So as they go along and the terrain changes from the path to the solid of the threshing floor, the the ox stumble and the cart lurches and Uzzah reaches up, and he's killed. Is he killed for that moment of touching the ark? Or is he killed for years in which he had no awe? David understandably is a bit upset by this. He calls off the party. He calls off the parade. He's angry. He has no idea what happened. Why did that happen? I don't know what's happening. He calls off the party. We're just canceling. We'll just uh uh Obadiah, you get it. You everybody back away slowly. You take the ark. We're good. He goes back to Jerusalem. And he's at a loss. because he's never seen God do anything like this before. Azza, trying to control the holy. Michael, when the ark finally makes it back, she looks out her window and she sees David dancing there. She's the daughter of a king. She knows how kings are supposed to act. This is not it. This is scandal. This is embarrassing. She knows how to manage, manage poli- palace politics. A little tongue twister for me there. She knows how to manage these things. She knows how to put the spin on things. David is not helping. He is not forming a good reputation And Michael, whose life has been controlled by the palace for her entire being, understands that she needs to control this right now. She watched her father Saul go mad over David. She watched him try to control his kingdom, to control his reputation. She himself was controlled by him. She was given to David by Saul as a gift. And then she was taken back. By Saul and given to Paltiel. But then, once Saul died, David demanded her back. And in one of the saddest scenes of scripture, Paltiel follows her to David, weeping because his wife Michael has to go to David. So, Michael knows what it's like to be controlled, and in this situation, she is going to take control. I can't believe you did that. That is so vulgar. I'm going to control this situation. The breakup had to happen. She wasn't good for him. He knew it but over the last year and a half, he had given so much of himself to her, too much. And so although it had been several weeks since they had ever seen each other, several weeks since the breakup, several weeks since they had spoken, and even though his friends told him not to, and even though his best advisors told him not to, and even though in his heart of hearts he knew he shouldn't, when her her birthday came, he texted her. And then he hovered over his phone waiting for her to reply because of course he had to mean something to her, right? Of course he could control the pain that he was experiencing at the end of this breakup, right? Of course she would give him some word of comfort that, that would redeem his pain, right? He could control this. She mailed the applications in early. The admissions counselor said, you won't hear anything until Thanksgiving, that's when the first cuts are made, don't worry about it, just wait. Wait? She'd orchestrated everything for four years for this graduate school, for this graduate program. She'd had her own carol in the library, the same one for four years. She'd turned down nights with friends to study. She took the low-paying job as a summer research assistant to get, on, get that on her resume. She'd been orchestrating everything for four years for this moment, and now she was supposed to wait? She knew somebody on the admissions committee. She'd met him when she and her advisor went to make a presentation at a conference. And even though her advisor told her, don't do it, she sent an email to the admissions committee member because she couldn't give up the control. Art? You wanna study art? I'm not spending this kind of money so that you study art. Philosophy? What are you gonna do with a philosophy major? History? Are you kidding me? International development? I don't even know exactly what that is. What can you do with a classics major? I'm spending this kind of money. I should have some kind of say in what my kid does with it. Choose something practical. Choose something practical. Guarantee your future. I need to control this. It's an old temptation to control the holy, to control the reputation, to control the relationship, to control our future, to control other people. It's an old temptation. And when we live in a community who has as its core purpose to prepare us for our futures, it's very tempting then to think that we can control our futures. Some of you will meet with your advisors this week and you'll say, I want to take these classes for interim. I want to take these classes next semester. This is where I want to go abroad. I've got a plan. We're going to work the plan. I want to have this kind of internship. Eventually, I want to live in a condo in a cool big city. That's my plan. I want to to go teach English in China for a while. So I want to have Chinese. I want to get that down. I wanna study economic theory and I wanna revise the whole banking industry. I've got a plan. I've got a plan for my life. I'm in control. I've got this. But people die and marriages end and the breakup stays broken up and rejection letters come and your kids get a call from God and you see the joy in their face. And we realize that we are not in control. Is it any wonder why David stopped the parade? He thought that this was going to be great. This was going to be fun. But suddenly he realized that the God with whom he had an intimate relationship, the God that anointed him, the God that protected him from Goliath, the God that protected him from Saul, the God that cared for him in the wilderness, the God that sent him Abigail to keep him from doing something stupid, the God who had been such an intimate conversation partner his whole life, was also an almighty, holy, all-powerful God, who could strike someone down in a second. And he said, we gotta look at this whole thing again. And so, in those three months between the death of Uzzah and when David came back, he and the other people consulted the scriptures. And we know that because it tells us that when those who bore the ark had gone six paces, they went back and they read the instructions. And they remembered that they were not in control. When they had gone those six paces and they realized that the one who had the power to slay them instead was celebrating with them, they were free to dance and they had a party and they danced before the Lord and they ate good food because they were not in control. And the God who was almighty, the God who loved them, the God who had been with them through everything as a people was with them there in that moment. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant was about. Inside the Ark was manna. Inside the Ark were the tablets of the law. Inside the Ark was Aaron's staff. Reminders of a long-term relationship between God and God's people. Reminders that God provides food. That God commands and wants a covenantal relationship that God protects through his leaders. And so David was reminded that he wasn't in control. And so when Michael goes to him and says, I can't believe you're acting like a slave out there, it was embarrassing. His basic response is, Before the Lord, I am a slave. In this relationship, I'm not the king, he's the king. So I'm going to dance before the Lord. I'm going to be a fool before the Lord. And everybody else who understands that relationship, they're going to honor me because they know that I am not in control. God is in control. They know that God is taking care of us. And just as he took care of us in the wilderness, he will take care of us now. And so, yeah, Michael, I'm going to be a fool before the Lord I'm going to dance free before the Lord because it's not up to me. It's not up to me to run this kingdom. It's not up to me to get it right. It's up to God. And if you don't get that, Michael, then you don't get me. David was celebrating the freedom he had in being in a relationship with a God who cared for him. I think one of the great blessings of Family Weekend is that after having six weeks of trying to manage your own life and do your own laundry and get up on time and go to bed on time and get your homework done, you have this like influx of people who are like, how can we take care of you? I don't know how many people I saw at Panera Bread yesterday who were eating off mom and dad. <laughs> and then I was like, then we're gonna go to Target, then we're gonna go to Meyer, we're gonna get supplies, woo! And there's just this reprieve of knowing, I don't have to do it all. My mom's here. My dad's here. Or I'm adopting the the parents who that are here. (laughs) You know, you you go out for dinner and you're, would you like an appetizer? Yes! (laughs) Would you like dessert? Aha! And the freedom we have from being cared for. They bring you laundry detergent. They bring you Pop-Tarts. A big case of Diet Coke, thank you. The freedom we have from being well cared for. That's what David had. That's why he danced. Because someone else was in charge of the big things and he could just be free. I had the privilege of talking with some of our alumni this weekend. Some people who graduated 40, 45, 50 years ago. And when you talk to them, you don't hear them say, you know, I had a plan when I left Calvin. I had a plan. Everything in my life has gone exactly according to that plan. (laughs) That's not what you hear. You hear things like, I never thought I'd be married three times. When I got pregnant, my first husband left me. And then I was married to this wonderful man for many years, and he died just a few years ago. And so here I am, a newlywed at 68. What you hear is, I always anticipated that I would get married and have kids, but God invited me on this grand adventure, and I got a PhD, and I had this great teaching career, and I was one of the few women who were doing that. And I traveled the world and I have friends around the globe and it hasn't been the life I anticipated, but it has been a rich and amazing life. What you hear from them is when we lost this child, we thought we had lost everything and it is such still a grief in our hearts, but we have seen God's mercy and grace through that in ways we never asked for. And now we're able to lead others in support groups who've gone through that same thing. It's, it's not a ministry we wanted, but here it is. What you hear from them is that the times when they surrendered control, the times when they were reminded that it was up to God and not up to them, were the times when God came in with surprises. What you hear from them are testimonies about the faithfulness of God. What you hear from them are reminders that it's not all up to you and you can't plan the rest of your life. What you can do right now in this moment is dance and be free because God is in control. You have the freedom of delighting in the presence of God, of worshiping in spirit and in truth, of not worrying about your future because God's got it. That's what you hear from them. They say God is a holy and mighty and glorious God and he also knows the deepest pain in my heart and he has been there every step of the way. So we can't control the holy and we can't control our reputation. We can't control relationships. We can't control our future. We can't control other people and that's a good thing because our God's got it. Our God is big and holy and holy and mighty and he knows your name he knows what you're going to eat for lunch you think that the God you have trusted enough to get you to this point is worthy of your trust from here on forward I think he is I know he is God is holy, holy, holy. And he's right here. God is in control. And we are free to dance. Will you pray with me? God, we praise you for this powerful story showing us your holiness, your might, your power, and also reminding us of your tender care for your people, manna in the wilderness, the tablets of the law, Aaron's staff. We thank you that we have those same reminders around us, pointers to your faithfulness, to your care for us. We thank you that you are king of kings and lord of lords, that you are in control, that you are sovereign and it's not up to us. So help us to be obedient in the moment, to take joy in where we are right now and open our eyes, Lord, to see you at work. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, amen.